Glad to be at church. Come on. If you live in Georgia, all your teams won. That's unusual. So let's cheer for, for a minute. So glad. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us online. We're so glad that you guys are tuning in. Hey, we are in this series called Bricklayers, hence the brick that I have here on the stage. How many of you guys got your brick you're praying over? You wrote some things down on it. One of the things that we did early on in this series, in this vision season around bricklayers was just, we wrote some prayers on these bricks and we've got them, you know, in our homes, in our offices and in different places just to remind us to pray for what God is up to. And, and the whole point, the whole, the message behind bricklayers is that we're all building something, right? We're all building something. We're, we're all building a life. You know, we build our lives like one decision at a time, one dollar at a time, one day at a time. We're always building one restaurant at a time, one binged Netflix episode at a time. We're, we're, we're always building our lives. And also as a church, we're doing some rebuilding, you know, coming out of COVID, out of the pandemic, something that uh, has just marked all of us for the rest of our lives. Uh, the kids will never see school the same. We'll never see officing the same. And we'll never see church the same. And as we've begun to rebuild, we've just seen God do some pretty cool stuff. Amen. Like it's been really unique. We have, we have uh, more people in groups than we've ever had in our history. We have more uh, first. We have more people who have given financially over the last year than any other year on record. We have more people serving. We have had see, seen God do so much, and yeah, let's go. And s- what can happen? What can happen at times when you see some momentum in your organization or in your life? What can happen is things start going good and you fail to finish. You fail to. Have you ever? Have you ever failed to finish something? Like any, anybody got like 90% of their home project done right now and they haven't quite gotten it down. You kind of get it done. You start working at it and you, and you get the hard part done, right? And then something comes up and you get distracted. You have some better offer because you think what? I can do it later. I've already done the hard work. Anybody ever started a book and you failed to finish reading that book? Anybody ever started the Bible, failed to finish reading the Bible? Right? <laughs> I mean, has anybody ever started an exercise regimen? You had a certain weight loss goal and you're like, I'm going to get to this certain weight loss goal. Now somebody, I see people in the back going, tell them to be quiet. Like, is it like you get to, you, you get close to your weight and all of a sudden you're like, ah, that Krispy Kreme will, won't matter so much. I've done the hard work. I'm going to get there. And we fail to finish. And when we fail to finish, you know what we fail to do? We fail to build the life God wanted us to build. We fail to build the organization God wants us to build. We fail to build the church that God wants us to build. You know, and we're looking at this series through the lenses of a man named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was one of the great leadership lessons in the Bible. And Nehemiah was tasked with rebuilding the wall around the city of Jerusalem. Now, we don't have a lot of context for walls around cities. It's become a political uh, term these days. Uh, but in the Middle East, in, those, in that particular time period, the wall was actually more important than your military because it provided safety and security. The wall had been torn down by Israel's enemies. And so Nehemiah comes back after 140 years of the wall being broken down and he is rebuilding the wall. Now, once he rebuilds it, it's going to give the nation of Israel two things. It's going to provide them security from their enemies, but also provide them with a new identity. Because in the gates of the walls is where business was transacted, and it was the great, where all the decisions were made. And so it gave, a, it gave a city, it gave a country, it gave them their identity. So this is what Nehemiah is restoring back to the nation of Israel. He is not just building a wall. He is building an identity. He's restoring something that had been lost and stolen from them. 
And broken walls are synonymous with broken people. And people all around are broken. We're all broken if we'll take a minute to admit it. But we know people who are broken. And the church's job is to help rebuild and restore what has been broken in the lives of people. And for some of you, it's very obvious. You just, your brokenness is right in front of you today. It's through some failed relationship, a failed marriage, a failed job, a failed purpose. You feel like you've got a failed life. For others, it may not be so apparent. But what if we could look at the work of Nehemiah as it pertains to rebuilding and building into the life of people? And we have to be sure, like Nehemiah that we're going to learn today, that we finish what got started. Amen? All right, so let's grab our Bibles. We're going to just jump into Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. Now, if you're new, one of the things that we do, and uh, when I'm on stage, is we have the Bible. We open it. I teach some things about it. We try to apply it to our lives. So that's why you have note cards in your seats. You can write some things down. And also, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. Maybe you have a paper Bible, or maybe you use your phone. How many people prefer technology Bible? Phone Bible, iPad Bible. A lot of people. How many people like paper Bibles? Okay, so yeah, split evenly. Not really, but... um, (laughs) That was me being diplomatic. Nehemiah chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. I'm just going to walk us through some some truths here this morning. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, this is Nehemiah writing, and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem came to me saying, come, let's meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. So let's just think about what's just happened. So, so Nehemiah has rebuilt the wall except for the gates. So he's not quite finished. He's close. He's 90% of the way there. Everything's done but the paint job, right? He's almost there, but he's not quite finished. And Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem come to him. Now they are his enemies. And throughout the story of Nehemiah, they come to him and they're consistently trying to distract him from the work that he was doing. Now Sambalot, we're going to see a little bit later, is also an image of Satan. And Nehemiah is an image of Jesus. And we're going to cover a little bit of that a little bit later on. But, but they're trying to get him to come out and to, to, to play nice. Because they're basically saying, hey, you, you know we've opposed this the whole time. You know we were against this idea of rebuilding the wall, but now that it's almost rebuilt, hey, come on out here, let's be, let's be friends. Let's, let's be boys. Let's, let's form an alliance together. Let's hang out together. We can be stronger together. And so that is what this is all about. He's trying to get them to come out. And here's one thing you have to realize if you're ever gonna finish. Listen, temptations to stop are often disguised as great opportunities. Temptations to stop your great work are often disguised as great opportunities. You know, we have so many temptations that are small. It's Jim Collins' whole principle, good is the enemy of great. There's so many things that we have opportunity to do. And these temptations will distract you from your great work of building a marriage, of building a family, of building into people, of building into your neighbors, of building and investing and storing up treasure in heaven. Amen? We have so many opportunities. We have so many new restaurants we need to go to. There's always one more travel team your kids can play in. There's one more AP class your high schooler can take. There's always one more. And many times those opportunities are actually taking away from your great work. Because we need to learn to say one word. No. No. So 
Now, this is where we get what I would see to be the hinge point verse in Nehemiah's story. It's the verse that we've talked about every single week where our great question has come from. In verse three, Nehemiah says this, I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? I am doing a great work and I can't come down. And we've asked ourselves the question every week, what great work are you doing? Like what, what great work are you doing? We have to be clear on the great work that we're doing. Because if we're not clear, what happens is we'll, we'll get distracted. And the clarity of our impact of the great work actually is what produces a finishing focus. When we have a clear goal of what is a win for us, what is a great work for us, what is gonna really matter, what's really gonna last, then we're gonna have this finishing focus. So Nehemiah was so clear on his great work, he couldn't come down from the wall. Then in verse four, it goes on. It says, they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. So think about it. They keep asking, he just keeps giving the same answer, the same answer. The answer never changes because he was just so clear in his great work. It says, in the same way, Sambalat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. This is funny, y'all. Okay, so open letter. Think about this for a second. So in, in that culture, when governors in different regions, when they would have correspondence with each other, what they would do is they would seal their communication with a wax seal. Maybe you've seen something like this before. They would seal it with a wax seal and whoever was carrying it wouldn't read it. The only person who would read it was the recipient. But this says what? It says an open letter. Do you, do you remember back when they used to have newspapers and people would write an open letter in the newspaper? And who remembers a newspaper? Anybody? <laughs> this is the equivalent of a Facebook post. Everybody can read it. It's an open letter. Whoever's delivering it can read it. Whoever's along the road can read it. Whoever's in the audience can read it. Everybody can read it. And what happens once they read it? It can never be taken back. Some of you learned that the hard way on Facebook. Uh, so they had this open letter. And what's it going to say? It says, and it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. You have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. You see what's happened. He, he spread rumor. Now he started out with, hey, let's be friends. Now it's, I'm going to spread these lies about you. Nehemiah no more wants to be king than anybody. Like Nehemiah's whole goal is just to provide identity and security to his people. And now they're accusing him of wanting to be king, hoping to get him into, tr into trouble. And Nehemiah responds very, very bluntly. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. You're inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. And then what does he do? He prays. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. So this whole ploy was set up for them to, be, to stop the work, to drop their hands. And Nehemiah just prays, hey God, strengthen my hands. That's probably a prayer we don't pray enough. Amen. God, strengthen my hands today. God, I'm discouraged. Strengthen my hands today. God, I'm feeling anxious. Strengthen my hands today. God, I'm feeling depressed today. Strengthen my hands. God, I'm feeling confused today. Strengthen my hands. This is what Nehemiah is doing. He's just teaching us to pray. 
Now, now I think that temptations, what can happen is they, is they, I said earlier, they come in such small packages. Like, I don't know that anybody in the room, I could be wrong. I don't know that anybody in the room or, or listening online is going to see a, a Facebook ad to join ISIS and you're going to drop your family and run join ISIS. Like, I don't know that you're going to bankrupt your life that way. I don't know that you're going to go and cash in all your retirement and buy lottery tickets overnight. If you do win, call me. But I don't know that that's how it works. What happens is these small opportunities begin to happen. And what they wanted Nehemiah to do was to form an alliance with people who really couldn't help him do his great work. And we have to be careful of what alliances we form because they, they, they become the allegiances that we follow. You know, Jesus said it this way. He, he said that where your treasure is is where your heart is. And what ends up happening is we begin forming alliances. We begin to partner up with people and with activities and with groups that actually can't push us down the field and the great work that God has called us to do. For some people, your great alliance is your job. It's your career. It's everything you dreamed of. It's what you look up, you look around and see other people and you point that success and then everything goes towards that alliance with your career. For some, it's your family. You cash in everything for your family. Your, in fact, your own identity you'll cash in for your family because it looks like that should be your primary alliance, but it shouldn't be, right? God should be your primary alliance. And then your allegiance ends up with someone or something that can't hold it. You know, so many spouses, what they do when they're married, they depend on their spouse to complete them. We've all seen Jerry Maguire. And what happens? That's too much weight for somebody to carry. They're not intended to carry that much weight. So then when they're not able to meet your needs or make you happy, there's conflict and destruction. And we, we make alliances with our bank accounts and we'll do anything just to see them go up. And we'll make alliances that have no ability to deliver the things that God wants to deliver in our life. And it will distract us from the great work. And we will not finish the great work that God has called us to do. Don't drop your hands from the great work. Maybe your great family vision is to get out of debt. And what you need to do is to not click on the Amazon button. Because it's going to distract you. Even as good a sale as that is. You know, dad's in the room, man. Got that call. They need you to stay late one more night. They need you to take that trip. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your phone. I want you to look at that picture of your family. And I want you to say, I'm doing a great work. And I can't come down. Hey, ladies, when you're tempted to just jam one more activity into an already busy and hectic schedule, and I want you to look at your phone and look at a picture of your children and say, I'm doing great work and I can't come down. Parents, you need to walk into your kid's bedroom at night because you know you walk in there every night just to see if they're breathing. You need to walk in and when you look at them, you tell yourself, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Don't let these small temptations of what everybody else is doing Take away from the great work God has called you to. Finish the work. Did somebody want to clap right there? That was awesome. <laughs> verse 10, verse 10. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabal, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Let me explain this piece just a little bit. So Shemaiah was a priest, 
And he apparently was a confidant, a friend, an advisor to Nehemiah. Apparently, is what, this is what it seems. And so Shemaiah has, is telling Nehemiah, they want to kill you. Let's go hide in the temple. So in that culture, you could go into the temple and you could hide if you needed safety from an enemy. And enemies would not go into the temple. You had diplomatic immunity. It sounds a little bit like, um, you know, if you're in a foreign country and you can go into the U.S. Uh, embassy if you're a United States citizen and you can find safety there. Or at least that's what I've learned from watching the Bourne movies. And while you're there, when you go into the temple, they're not to bother you. Now, here's the problem. The problem for Nehemiah was that it was only for priests and the leaders and the people who worked in the temple. So for Nehemiah to go in would have been a statement of fear and would have been a statement of, of, uh, of weakness to go in. And so Nehemiah's got a decision to make. If they're coming to kill him, what does he do? Now, it seems prudent in the moment. It seems prudent in the moment to go in to save his life. But sometimes we'll sacrifice our purpose on the altar of prudence. Let's watch Nehemiah. In verse 11, he says this. I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced a prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. So Nehemiah says, should a man such as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? What kind of man was he? He was appointed by God to rebuild the wall. He was commissioned by God to save the nation of Israel. Man, he had a great work to do to rebuild the wall. He had immeasurable value. He was protected by God because he had a great work. That's the kind of man he was. See, Nehemiah was so clear on his identity. Nehemiah was so clear on his identity. You see, clarity of identity actually produces finishing character. When you're clear on who you are, your character can stand up against a lot of onslaught, a lot of questions, a lot of, a lot of uh, problems, a lot of confusion, a lot of fear, a lot of courage. Like when you're clear on who you are. Listen, do you know who you are? If I were to ask you who you are, like are you clear on who you are? I'm not talking about your job. I'm not talking about your titles. I'm not talking about your roles, like your identity. Like are you clear on who you are? Do you know how unique you are? Now, now, in this discussion, I think it's really uh, important for us to see this tension that we have. There is one God. He is good. There is, let me say this again. There is one God. Amen. That's where that goes. <laughs> we, we always need to confess that and confirm that. Like, and and guess, what, guess who everything is about? God. Everything is about God. The world revolves around God. Not the United States Sorry. <laughs> he is the creator of everything. He is the sustainer of life. The fact that I can stand here and you can sit there and we can have uh, air to breathe is because of God. He's the point. But what has he's done? And, 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 and the psalmist writes it like this. Like, what is man that you were mindful of him? The son of man that you would care for him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. So what God has done, he's created you and he's created me with a very unique role and purpose in life. And that unique role and purpose is his work in our life. Nobody else can do what God has created you to do. Like nobody else can do what God has created you to do. 
Nobody else knows the people that you know, has had the experiences that you know, has been through the pain that you have been through, have been through the temptation and trials that you have been through. Nobody has been created to do the things that God has created you to do. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes about this idea that we are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship created for good works that he created actually before we were even born in Christ Jesus. There are some things that will go undone in God's kingdom if you don't do them. And you have to be settled and confident in that. And why, why would we give that away and let our insecurities drive us? Like, why would we always be looking around and looking over our shoulder at what other people thought or what other people are doing when God has given us something unique to accomplish? May, may, this plays out, at, this is going to play out at, at the end of time. And I love, this, I love this idea and this concept. There's this portion in the Bible that, that talks about um, when, when we get to heaven, we have this name that God has created us for. We have this unique name and it's, it's, based on how God's created us, the things he wants us to do, the character qualities that we have. And when we cross over, he's going to call us by this name. And when he does, we're going to know it in an instant because it's just going to resonate in our souls. Like that's how unique. And what we'll do if we're not careful, if we're not confident in who we are, we'll take some shortcuts. We'll take some shortcuts in life. We'll take some shortcuts in our dating life. Hey, if you're single here today, and you have a vision for who you want to marry, don't let the pressure from anybody steal that from you and take a shortcut in your sexual purity. You fight for that and you finish the work God has started. And I promise you, he will honor that. Man, at work, we'll be tempted to take some shortcuts and we'll compromise our integrity. I'll pay that back later. And if we're not careful, if we're not confident, if we don't have the settled understanding, if we're not comfortable in the skin that God has given us, We'll take some shortcuts. Hey, what shortcuts are you taking? Where are you taking shortcuts in your life today? In your relationships, at work, in your parenting, in your dating? Like, like what, what shortcuts are you taking? Nehemiah wouldn't take a shortcut. He wouldn't go in the temple and hide, and he could have. But he knew better, and he kept his integrity, and he kept his character. And let me tell you something. Character carries the day. And we need a, a group of people who will stand up with some character for a change and do what's right and give their life to a worthy cause and not be selfish and build their own platform. Amen? Amen. Verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. They finished the wall and everybody, nobody, you don't see them saying, Nehemiah, what a great architect. Nehemiah, what a great strategist. They say, what? Their God is something else. He did something special. That's what they say. He finished the work. Now let's remind ourselves. Nehemiah prayed for four months. Four months he prayed before he would ask the king to give him the resources to go and rebuild the wall. He worked for 52 days. He prayed for over double the amount of time that he actually worked. And what God did was take 140 years of broken down walls and restore them in six 
months. Can I just tell you, God will restore something in your life before you can even know it. Like God is in the business of restoring things that have been taken from us. And even when we can't see how it's going to work out, even when we don't understand the process or the steps, if we will stay the course, like some of you are battling addiction. You're like, God, when are you going to free me from this? When is it going to be over? When am I finally going to have the willpower? Stick with it. Surround yourself with godly people. Immerse yourself in God's word and he will prove faithful to set you free. It may be in your marriage today that it's just going through some difficulties and struggle and you're just beginning to wonder if it's worth it. Is the battle worth it? Is it worth the effort and the time, right? Don't short circuit what God is doing. It is worth it. And God will do an amazing work in your life. You know, some of you may be struggling to get pregnant today and you're just like, ah, this is, God's never gonna bless me. He's holding out on us. We, 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 we're not gonna get everything that everybody else has. Stick with God. Make him your prize and God will come through for you in ways you could never imagine on a timetable that is his timetable, not yours. 140 years restored in just six months. Now, now what I want to do here is I want to talk about finishing for just a minute. And I want to take what Nehemiah experienced and I want to tie it to Jesus because the Bible is about Jesus and we always need to make that connection. In Philippians chapter one, verse six, it says that he is faithful. He began a good work in you. He is faithful to complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Like God started a work in you. He is faithful to finish it. God wants to finish it. And this is where we see Jesus come in that Jesus is going to finish the work that he started in your life. You know, Jesus was clear on his identity. This is the place we, we start when it comes to Jesus. Nehemiah was clear on who he was. Jesus was clear on his identity. In Matthew chapter 3, we see this baptism experience happen, that Jesus is baptized, much like we're going to baptize in our next service um, today, if you need to get baptized today, you're in luck. We'll do it for you next service. Just meet us at the I'll raise my hand table in the back. But it says that Jesus came to be baptized. And after he was baptized, it says in verse 16, it says, Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water. Now, let me, just a quick teaching point. If you come up from the water, what does that mean happened? You went under the water, right? Get it? Baptism is going under the water and coming up out of the water. That's why we'll baptize people with the proverbial dunking today. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened up to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You see what just happened? This is my son. He's imparting identity on him. He's confirming who he is. He, he's burying it deep into Jesus' heart and to everybody who's listening that he is the son of God. And he's going to need to be clear on this. Because when you start to walk the road of crucifixion and mutilation and execution, you're going to need to be really clear on some things. And who you are is what Jesus was going to need most. Because who, you'll never act outside of who you think you are. Who you think you are determines everything that you do. And so we see that Jesus was clear on his identity. And here's the beautiful part about it. Because of his work for us on the cross, 
because of the supernatural resurrection that he experienced. He takes, he, he takes our broken down rubble identi- of an identity and he rebuilds it. He imparts to us a new identity. And our identity is always found in Christ. Jesus was clear on his identity. And then we see him face some temptations. The same way that Nehemiah was tempted to short circuit the process, to go and take a shortcut, the same way that he he could have stopped short of finishing, Jesus was tempted in that way. In Matthew chapter 4, it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now right here, let me remind us, Sambalot, the enemy, the tempter in Nehemiah's world, is Satan in the New Testament. That's the connection you need to make when you're reading the Bible. In verse 2, it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, that's kind of an understatement, and 40 days, I just read that too fast. Let's let that sink in. I'm hungry after missing one meal, aren't you? He's gone 40 days, 40 nights, no food, and says he was hungry. Captain Obvious there, he was hungry. And the tempter, Satan, came to him and said, if you are the son of God, hey, you see where that temptation's coming from? Identity. Hey, this really is who you are? You can command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Like, was it wrong for Jesus to be hungry and want bread? No. But was it the great work God had called him to? Was it what God was leading him down? No. So what does he do? He uses God's word to combat the temptation. Why did he use God's word? Because he knew that was the, that was the weapon that he had to use. And that was the allegiance that he owed to his heavenly father. It goes on in verse 5. It says, the devil took him to the holy city, being Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, again, level of identity, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up unless you strike your foot even against a stone. Was that true? Yes. Jesus could have done that. Angels would have rescued him. It would have been quite the spectacle. Everybody would have seen it. A grand display of celebrity. But Jesus knew that wasn't the path to building the kingdom. Jesus knew that wasn't the great work that God had called him to. So Jesus says this. Again, it is written, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So what he's seeing are earthly kingdoms, the Roman kingdom, the Aztec kingdom, the Inca kingdom, the Egyptian kingdom, the Greek kingdom. All of these is what Satan would have offered him when an eternal kingdom was at stake. And Jesus said this, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So Jesus was able to combat the temptations because he knew who he was. And he knew who he was following, and he knew where his primary allegiance lay. And he knew that God had him covered. God was going to fulfill his purposes in his life, even through his temptations. He, He was betrayed, Jesus was, by a guy named Judas. You remember this part of the story? Judas, one of his closest followers, one of his advisors, actually Judas was the money keeper. He was the accountant. He kept it up with the dollar dollar bills. Judas betrayed him in the same way that Shemaiah betrayed Nehemiah. Man, Jesus is a better better Nehemiah. He was tempted the same way that Nehemiah was. And then we see, I think, the image of Jesus finishing the work. Finishing the work. 
We know that he went to the cross and his hands were outstretched. And one of the thieves or one of the audience said to him, hey, if you really are the son of God, you should come down from there. You, you could drop your hands and stop the work, but Jesus didn't. He finished the work that his father had given him. And even in John chapter 19, verse 30, after he had been given some sour wine, he said these three words, it is finished. The great finisher of our faith accomplished a great work on the cross. What exactly was the great work? What exactly did he accomplish? I'm glad you asked. You know, Jesus had a great work, and it's kind of boiled down in this one sentence. It says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. What was lost? What was stolen? Man, our lives were stolen. Our identity was stolen, and we've been rescued. Jesus came seeking us, came after us, because he loved us so desperately. Jesus knew that all the temptations, all of the battles, all of the pain, all of the struggle was for us. And he saved us from something and he saved us to something. What were we saved from? We were saved from sin. We were saved from the rubble of sin. Now I know sin isn't politically correct to talk about, but it's still eternally true, amen? that the reality is we all sin. I have sinned. You have sinned. It's not, it's not intended to diminish us, but to show us the way home. And when we recognize the things that we've done that have been selfish and prideful, the things we've said in frustration and anger, the, the times that we've stolen or cheated or been unfaithful, the times when we did anything for our own comfort or complacency, when we saw someone in need and we didn't help them, when we had opportunity to be generous and we kept for ourselves, we've sinned. And the wages of sin is death. That's what we've been saved from. We've been saved, been saved from darkness and death and destruction, but we've been saved to something, amen? And we've been saved to a new life. We've been saved to have a restored identity. We've been saved, we've been adopted into the family of God. We've been lifted up with him in the heavenly places. And we've been called sons and daughters of God. We've been called friends of God. We've been called righteous and holy. We've been called saints, why? Because of the work of Christ. Like this is what Jesus has saved us to. This is the great work of the gospel. And this is what was finished through his death, burial, and resurrection for us. Why would we make alliances with other things and other people that can't deliver what we all truly desperately want? And that's life. And that's freedom. That's fulfillment. Don't you want to know that you're fulfilling the purpose, purposes for which God made you? The reason why you're here, the reason you have breath in your lungs, the reason why you woke up this morning, and the reason why you're in this room today, don't you want to know? And the only way that you can do that is by connecting your life to God's. Case closed. There is no other way. You can read all the self-help books you want to. You can take all the personality inventories you want. You can learn all about yourself. But until you plug into the work of God for your life, you're always going to be restless you're always going to feel like something's missing. You're always going to be looking for what's next. And you're going to fill your life with things that are not going to be able to deliver what you hope. Man, when I was in my mid-20s and I discovered this, that 
I had done everything that I knew to do just to be successful, to feel like I was accomplishing something, to put insecurity behind me, and I realized I was doing it for myself. And I was tired. Are you tired? And could it be that you need to plug in to God's purposes for your life? Let's pray together. Just in the quietness of the moment, because we don't ever have quiet moments. Let's just take a minute. Man, what great work are you doing today? What shortcuts have you taken? Man, and could I just convince you of the good news of the gospel today? And maybe today as you examine your life and you looked at your alliances and you looked at the things that you have spent your time and money on, that you realize that it's on things that can't deliver. It's not on God. And probably a lot of good things. Maybe it is your bank account, or maybe it is your job, or 